baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and it is that time of year, the time that all baseball fans are looking forward to from the very first pitch of spring training. We are counting down the days, if you will, to October and hoping to see our club make it there. And if you're a Braves fan, you can breathe that big sigh of relief. I guess you were able to do it about a week and a half ago as the Braves clinched the National League East and punched their ticket to the postseason for the second consecutive year. We're going to dive into how the Braves are lining up and preview this series against the St. Louis Cardinals on this episode of From the Diamond. I'll be joined by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Gabe Burns. He'll be checking in and helping me dissect the Braves and the roster decisions they have to make as they construct the 25 men that will go to war against the St. Louis Cardinals beginning on Thursday night at SunTrust Park. We'll get Gabe in here in just a moment. Before I do, though, want to remind you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you pick up your podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated. They help out the show a ton, so keep those coming. And make sure you're connected with me and with the show on social media. Twitter's the place you can typically find me. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. And on Instagram, you can find me there at Grant McCauley. And the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore there if you want to follow along. And fromthediamond.com is where you can find every episode and so much more throughout baseball season and beyond. With all of that plugging out of the way and with the regular season now in our rearview mirror, it's the time of year that the lights get a little bit brighter as 10 teams make it into October and one emerges with the World Series championship. And we're hoping the Atlanta Braves can make a serious run at that throughout this particular October. And joining me right now on the show from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he is Gabe Burns. You can follow him on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. Gabe, I appreciate you making the time. It's going to be a busy week. It's a big week, and I think Braves fans have been looking forward to this since, I don't know, right about a year ago or so. But here we are. It's October baseball again. Are you excited about that? Yeah, it's great to finally be uh, back covering the postseason again. I mean, we you're right. We've been talking about the Braves getting back to October and rebounding from last year. I mean, we were talking about that in last November. Yeah, you know, so we're finally here, and we're going to see how this year goes differently than last. Well, I definitely think this is a much different Braves club. You know, Even though so many of the names are the same, I think that, A, you have the experience from October a year ago, and, B, you also have some players that you didn't have this time last year that are big-time difference makers. I want to start kind of offensively speaking and taking 2019 and looking at it from 30,000 feet I think we all knew that when the Braves signed Josh Donaldson that it could be a huge difference maker. The question mark was, would Josh Donaldson make it through the entire season healthy? That question was answered in a big-time way, and that answer was yes, and he put up, I would say, MVP caliber-type numbers, Josh Donaldson-type numbers, the kind that we're used to seeing on the back of his baseball card. 
How big of a difference do you think having Josh Donaldson smack dab in the middle of the Atlanta lineup made for everyone, one through eight in that lineup, which was one of the best in the National League? Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, he was the biggest difference maker between this year and last. And I, I think that even if you asked uh, Alex Anthopoulos when he signed him, I mean, I don't know that even he could have predicted this type of bounce back. I think that they had expected at that time Donaldson would kind of get ample rest. You know, they'd be able to play Camargo some at third. I mean, that was the plan. And it turns out Donaldson ends up playing in almost every game. He really just carries the workload there at third. I don't think any of us expected him to be so valuable defensively, um, even knowing that he was a good defensive third baseman. I mean, if it wasn't for Nolan Arenado, you might be looking at a gold glover this yeah. year. So, I mean, he was tremendous there. The power was back. He was healthy. We even In spring training, we saw he was still kind of working his way back. He got off to a slow start in the regular season. But he's absolutely the biggest difference maker on the team. He paved the way for the best year of Freddie's career. He added a whole new dynamic to the clubhouse, just his personality. He's just he's a bit different. He's a bit out there. But yep. at the same time, you need kind of that mix of guys. You add him, you add Brian McCann. And all of a sudden, when you go to the postseason, and of course last year's experience, there's not going to be that deer in the headlights look that we saw in Los Angeles last October. So I think the whole combination of factors comes in, but I really think that Donaldson brought it all together. I mean, we've been saying it all year. I mean, a former MVP, a guy who's been there, a guy who's done that, everybody respects him, brings that unique dynamic to the clubhouse that this team needed. A young team, a lot of guys kind of figuring out their place, not just on the field, but off the field. So you come in a guy who's just an extremely hard worker. I mean, we saw it in spring training. I mean, this guy, every swing, he was so focused, and every swing is so loud and violent. Oh, no doubt. But you're going like, yeah, you just sometimes things jump, like Pat Mahomes throwing a football. I mean, you just look at some guys, and you're like, there's some, like, <laughs> it's different. it stands out. Yeah. And when you watch Josh Donaldson take BP, I mean, you can just tell that this is a guy that is extremely unique. So we saw that from day one. I would say he's certainly exceeded expectations. He's exceeded the hype. He set himself up for a really nice payday this winter be it from the Braves or somebody else. Yeah, he certainly has, and I don't want to bury that too far down, but we'll find out about that about a month from now when we start seeing what's going to happen when we get into hot stove season. But Josh Donaldson, you're right. He has uh, written himself a good check from somewhere. We're just going to see who ends up signing that check when he gets done with what he may do over the next couple of weeks. It all starts, of course, in the National League Division Series, which begins this week as the Braves and Cardinals will meet for two games at SunTrust Park. And then assuming that the series continues, possibly two games out in St. Louis, at least one. And then if it goes five games, it'll be back at SunTrust Park by the middle of next week as well. So a very exciting time for the Braves who have worked so hard this season. Josh Donaldson, a huge difference maker on the offensive side of things, but the explosion of Ronald Acuna Jr., a real bounce back season by Ozzie Albies, who it sounds funny to say it when you just look at his numbers from last year, but we remember the second half that he had that was not an issue in 2019. Ozzy has been one of the Braves' best and most consistent hitters all year long. That's been huge. The offense has been, of course, built around Freddie Freeman for so long. And, oh, by the way, he put up career-type numbers as well. Gabe, I'll ask you, as we've watched a lot of baseball this year, one through four, when the Braves are have got those guys locked in there, Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and Donaldson, I don't know that there's any team in either league that really has a more dynamic one through four in the postseason as we get started here in a couple of days. No, I agree. I mean, especially in the NL. 
Um, you can, I mean, you can debate Houston, but sure. I, this, it's just they're going to go as far as you know, kind of that top of that lineup can carry them. And it's just so much more menacing than it was a year ago. Obviously, they go into the playoffs. We talked so much about Ozzy's second half. You just brought it up. I mean, he was he was not playing well. It was his first postseason experience, so there were you know there were some kind of questions there. I mean, obviously Acuna at the leadoff spot was dynamic, but now you add Donaldson. You know, Freddie. We'll see about his health. We'll also see about Acuna's health yeah. for that matter. Um, so, it, I mean, that could obviously derail them. Uh, you would hate to see this season end with them getting ousted in the first round again and the conversation centering on their two best players being hurt. But if those guys are healthy, then absolutely. I mean, they're going to go as far as those guys can carry them. And you look at the depth of this lineup, too. I mean, Dansby, he was hitting so well earlier in the year. And, you know, he hasn't really hit since coming back from the heel injury. I mean, he has the four-hit game in Kansas City. He comes back with a four-strikeout game. So he's definitely a wild card offensively. Uh, Nick Markakis, you hope that you're just going to get what you expect out of him. Yep. And But, yeah, definitely a team that uh, – still a, a deep team, a really deep lineup, even though you now have Joyce starting and you lost Charlie and Camargo, which obviously hurt because their depth was – Maybe the best in the NL, um, or at least best outside of the Dodgers. So, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see how what ends up happening. But they're definitely, I mean, their offense is certainly more potent than uh, St. Louis's is. So if they end up winning this series, then that's probably where you're going to be able to point. I think so. And the Cardinals come in having, like every team in baseball, I think, certainly the threat of the long ball for several guys that we'll see in that lineup, led by, of course, I think Paul Goldschmidt was the big get last winter for the Cardinals. He didn't necessarily have one of those vintage Goldschmidt type years, but you definitely have to respect him. You got Marcelo Zuna. You got a bunch of younger guys who have kind of stepped up as well for the Cardinals. So the offenses, it would seem like Atlanta might be the beneficiary of heading into this series of having higher expectations for their offense. I'll put it that way. As far as the pitching side of things, it's going to be interesting to see how this Braves offense deals with one of the hottest pitchers in all of baseball. And of course, that's Jack Flaherty who's going to be starting, I believe, game two for the Cardinals just based on how his rest will line up since he threw in the regular season finale against the Chicago Cubs. But either way, the Cardinals have a couple of good arms, not named Flaherty, but it'll be a battle, I think, of two teams that might be depending on their bullpen to get some big outs. And that seems to kind of be the script for the postseason. Bullpens really seem to be the number one place that you look to, hoping that guys can convert and pitch in those high leverage situations and get those big outs for you. Yeah, and I, I've written this before, is when the Braves go out and they get those trio of guys on July 31st, it wasn't to win the NL East. They were up six and a half at that point. I think that, you know, Washington was obviously playing well, but they had just taken two out of three in Philly. They'd just taken two out of three in D.C. I don't think anyone was overly concerned thinking they would blow the East. They make those moves saying, we have an offense we have a rotation we feel good enough about that this team should at least advance to the LCS. Right. So when you look at that, you're going, okay, well, for that, for the deadline to truly be judged as a success, I think we'll have to see what happens this month. Or, and so you look at, like, Shane Green, okay? He gets off to that slow start when he gets here. He's been pretty good since. Uh, they obviously trust Mark Melanson. Uh, Chris Martin, veteran guy, been there, ground ball. You're not, he's not going to walk anybody. So they've got factors you can trust about him. Like you said, the postseason comes down to bullpen, and 
you, I thought about this the other day. I mean, imagine where the Braves would be right now without those three. If you're yeah. looking at the postseason bullpen and you're looking at I, – I don't know how good you would feel about even picking them in this series um, because, I mean, those three really did change a lot. So uh, credit to Antopoulos for that because it definitely changed the perception of this team. Uh, nationally, yes, but especially just with those of us who see it all the time. I yeah. mean, they're definitely a lot more well-rounded with those three kind of finishing things up back there. Yeah, a lot more weapons, and, and it goes kind of hand-in-hand hand with, and I know when I put this out on Twitter the other day, and, of course, people look at it the way that they want to look at it based on kind of what their perception is. And I'm not getting into a whole, let's discuss the Braves' ownership and whether or not they spend enough money. I think everybody would like to see the Braves be one of the highest payrolls in baseball again. That doesn't seem like it's going to be part of the Braves' future, either in the near term or perhaps the long term. We'll, of course, find that out as we all get a year older every year. Be that as it may, the Braves did say that they wanted to maintain some level of money to spend inside the season, and Alex Anthopoulos went out and did that. Dallas Keuchel was the first big domino that fell. And then you mentioned the three relievers they picked up when you got Melanson and Green. I believe that you can hold on to beyond 2019, so that's kind of a big deal for you if you're thinking about the the window of competitiveness that you want to keep open. But Keuchel, this was a, an arm that I think the Braves very much needed Dallas Keuchel really adds a lot more than the Braves had going into the season with a lot of unknowns and Julio Tehran in their rotation. And oh, by the way, their two best young starters, Mike Soroka and Max Freed, they weren't even in the rotation on opening day. So you throw them in, you throw Dallas Keuchel in, you finally get Mike Fultonevich back to full speed in the second half. I think the Braves rotation is trending in the right way as well. And having that veteran in Keuchel there to stabilize the mix, if you will, this is the kind of postseason rotation that could set the Braves up for some success. The Keuchel addition, it makes an astronomical difference. And you look at it, not necessarily in the numbers. I think that he produced about exactly what you would have expected. I think he had about a 370 RA. I mean, it was about right. what you would expect from, from him and from him signing in June and whatnot. This is a guy who, you know, he has the relationship with Brian McCann. I mean, he's seen kind of the peak of the mountain, which, again, we talked about this with Donaldson and with McCann. You need guys who have been there. This is somebody who is going to go game one, and he will not be scared of the moment. He said it the other day. He's pitched in the wild card game. He's pitched in game one. He's pitched in game three. I mean, he's seen all this. He's done it. He's faced the American League lineups. This was a huge signing for them. Like When I said look back uh, on this team now without those three relievers from July, look at the rotation without Keiko. Right. It's just a huge difference knowing that you have a guy there that you can start game one and then, you know, bring him back whenever you need to. But you can trust that for as great as Mike Soroka is, and I, I think he'll end up with a Cy Young at some point in his career. I think he'll be one of the best five pitchers in the NL in his prime if he's sure. not already. You don't know what you're going to – you just don't know what you're going to get. And the same can be said with Fulte, who has had – a phenomenal second half, obviously, since he's come back. But, again, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, you had mixed results last October. So to bring in a guy like this, a ground ball lefty, someone that you just know is going to handle it, there's not going to be any kind of meltdown. It's just it's huge for this team. It's, it's something that they really needed. It's something that they lacked last October. Among the many things they have this time around is kind of like you said, legitimacy in the rotation with signing Keiko. 
Well, let's piggyback on this and kind of dive into what I think everybody's wondering right now as we await the Braves' official postseason roster. And we might as well start with the starting staff. And you just laid out a lot of the pros and cons for what the Braves did have or what the Braves do have, I should say, and what the Braves did not have and how they might deploy these guys, of course, is the question that a lot of folks have been asking. If you go out and get a Dallas Keuchel and he pitches up to expectations, which I think that he has, He's the kind of experienced arm that you get to front a postseason rotation because, as you said, and Dallas Keuchel told you, he's been there, done that, and the Braves did not have a guy that had that kind of experience on his resume. I'm going to start him in game one if I'm the Braves. And in game two, I'm going to go with Mike fulton because I think he's been the Braves' hottest pitcher over the last at least five or six weeks. And he seems to be a completely different pitcher than the one that we saw in the first half if not about where he was in 2018 when he was fronting the Braves rotation, both of those guys have pitched very well at SunTrust Park, or at least better at SunTrust Park than they have on the road. Once you jump into Game 3, that to me is where Mike Soroka is so intriguing this year because, as you just pointed out, this is a guy that could be the rookie of the year in very many years that Pete Alonso doesn't go off and hit 50-plus home runs. In addition to that, he may end up being one of the most decorated right-handed pitchers in all of baseball by the time his career is said and done. But at this juncture, I think in game three, with the way that he's pitched on the road, that's how I would line him up. Do you see anything different than that? Do you have a different feel for it? Because I know that there's a great case to be made that Soroka's been the Braves' most consistent pitcher bar none. So him only throwing one time in the division series, I can understand why some people would look at that and say that may not be ideal. What do you make of all that? I get both sides. I think that when you go out and you get Dallas Keuchel, you pay him $13 million. Yeah. And this is, you know, you don't have Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole. You know, you don't have a guy like that. Then it makes all the sense in the world to go ahead and start Keuchel game one. Uh, it's certainly not an indictment on Soroka. I, right. I don't think anyone views it that way. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, if you start Soroka game one, obviously you'd be able to have him, assuming that you're not going to sweep, which no one's going to assume anything like that. Sure. You do have him for game five to come out of the bullpen. Uh, Snip made that clear. Yeah. Uh, assuming he starts, he does start game three. So it's not like you're, you would still have him available there. So it's, you know, to say you're only going to use him once in the series isn't necessarily accurate because you would actually have him available in the pivotal game. Yeah. Now, perception of this can also change if the Braves win both of their home games and they have a chance to finish this thing up in St. Louis, and then all of a sudden you have Mike Soroka on the mound. Right. Then at that point, you know, it's kind of, you look like a genius. It's the classic case of a manager or coach decision where, you know, if things go right, then all of a sudden they look like a genius. If things go wrong, then you look stupid because Mike Soroka only threw once and you were eliminated in four games or whatever. But I understand where they're coming from with it. Obviously, he was the best pitcher in baseball on the road this season. Clearly, they see value in that. Uh, He's probably going to go against Adam Wainwright, who's been one of the uh, best pitchers at home in the NL this season. Mm -hmm. You mentioned St. Louis's rotation is dominant. I mean, Hudson's been really good. Uh, Nicholas is probably going to start game one for him. Uh, Flaherty is on a – he's just on a tear. Um, And then you've got Wainwright pitching at home. So, they're going to play the matchups. They're going to play it based on where guys feel most comfortable. And they are taking the guy that they signed for this. I mean, they signed Keigel for the postseason. And 
they're going to go ahead and let them start game one and see how it goes. Yeah, and that's my big thing, too, is, again, none of this is an indictment on Mike Soroka. None of this is a slight on Mike Soroka because he hasn't really he hasn't done anything wrong that would make you think that he couldn't start a game one or doesn't belong in a scenario like that. But you went out and got depth, and not just any kind of depth. You got a guy with experience like Dallas Keuchel has. And, you know, Fulte ended up kind of being the wild card in all of this because I think you and I were talking a couple of months ago and Max Fried would have been in our postseason rotation at that time. Now, Max closed out his season with a really good outing up in New York. That was good to see, of course. But I think the big thing for him is that you could bring him out and start him in a game four if you wanted to do that. He's definitely on the postseason roster. But he really, I think, holds perhaps the key to success if something goes wrong in one of those first three games because you could use Max Fried to cover multiple innings and save your bullpen from perhaps having to cover a lot of outs if there's any kind of early exit for whatever the reason may be, whether that's you know just not having it on a given day for one of the starters or if you end up getting bit by the injury bug, which can change plans very quickly. So the kind of depth the Braves have and the talent of that depth, this again, as you go back and look at 2018, this was not something that was really readily available to the Braves. They did not have four starters that you could look at and say, we could make a case for all four of these guys getting a start but in a five-game series, it just seems unlikely, I think, that Freed would make a start over the three guys that we've talked about. Well, how do you size up what Max Freed's role and what his value could be in this series and then going forward if the Braves advance into the NLCS? Well, Freed is definitely an amazing buffer for them. Uh, if something does go wrong, if somebody gets hurt early, or, you know, if there's a guy, you know, we've seen games go extras in the World Series Absolutely. lately. I mean, we this is a guy who – you know, if you're playing game five and it, you're in the 13th inning, I mean, you you know, you only have so many pitchers. And to have a guy like Max who can come in there and just fire off innings, I mean, it's definitely valuable. Uh, I think you could bring him in in high leverage situations and trust him. I think just kind of, kind of like how you saw, you know, um, Sean Newcomb exceed, uh, succeed sometimes at points this season. I think that there's definitely a really big role for Freed, regardless of if he starts or not. And to see how he looked in New York the other day was definitely encouraging to kind of see him bring it together. Now, Julio Tehran is another story um, right. to transition into that. Uh, I do think he'll be on the postseason roster. Interesting. But it is fair to ask yourself, if this guy is not going to be starting, where's the real value of having him on the postseason roster? So I think that's definitely a debate that could go a number of different ways. Yeah, and let um, me ask you about that as well, because I look at the Braves' relief pitchers, and we know that Melanson, Green, and Martin are obviously locked in. I think Luke Jackson's yeah. on the roster. There might have been some question about it, but I think he started to quiet that down in the last week or so. Sean Newcomb, I think, is clearly going to be there because the Braves don't have a lot of left-handers in the bullpen. And I would say the same thing for Jerry Blevins, who all he did all year long when he kind of seemed like the one who might be the next one to get cut or designated for assignment, all he did was keep on keeping on. And he's, I think, earned a spot as the Braves' loogie, if you want to call him that. All of a sudden, Darren O'Day has, I think, pitched his way into this thing because he's a veteran with a resume that none of the other relievers in that bullpen, save I think Melanson, really has as far as success is concerned. But he's more of a right-handed one-out guy. So they've got a loogie. And they've got a Rugi, and then all of a sudden you start looking at what Julio Tehran would do as far as where he'd fit in. And where I look at putting together a postseason roster, were I doing it, which I assure you I'm not, Josh Tomlin has handled that role so well all season long. I would lean with Josh Tomlin over Julio Tehran, and probably for many of the reasons that you're already thinking. What do you make of that in terms of the debate between perhaps Tomlin and Tehran for that eighth spot in the bullpen? 
I agree. I think I would go with Tomlin personally. I just right. I feel like the team is going to have Julio on there. Um, but personally, no. I, I, if it was down to those two, I would go with Tomlin simply because you have seen him in that role all year. Exactly. And you know, I mean, Julio did it last. You know, last October he pitched at the end there. But I mean, Josh. Josh started in uh, KC the other day. Uh, through a few innings, I, I just I would feel more comfortable with him in that type of role. And you mentioned, and not to go to kind of veer off course here, but you mentioned O'Day. Mm-hmm. The two players that I feel like deserve the most credit this season for their perseverance are Fulty and O'Day. Yeah. When you look at the years that both of them had, I mean, Fulty's year went downhill literally his first start of spring, and he got hurt or he had the elbow issue. Yep. He ends up battling his way back. He is absolutely abysmal. He gets demoted to AAA, uh, so from All Star to you know getting sent to the minors. I mean, it's completely embarrassing. It's a far fall. Um, yeah, it, it, no, I mean he would tell you it's completely embarrassing. He comes back, he works his, and now he he looks like he did last year. I mean, he looks like the All Star faulty again. So, regardless of how the playoffs unfold for him, it said a lot about him mentally that he was able to come back the way he did this year. And with O'Day. You know, quite frankly, this is a guy who really he had no reason to fight all the way back. He could have retired, and he would would he would have had a very successful career. He's made a lot of money, but he really wanted to keep fighting to come back. And so, a guy who hasn't pitched since when was it last June, I believe, yeah. thereabouts. So he ends up you know coming back for this team that he had only pitched once for on March first in spring training. He threw an inning. So he comes back for this team that he's been with since last July but hasn't pitched for. He comes back in the final month, and he looks good enough that the team is going to trust him to come on the postseason roster. So, I mean, really kudos to both of those guys. Again, not to veer off course, but really uh, two really good years for them as far as just showing people, you know, not to give up and, you know, all that typical kind of stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes up a 162-game season. And for Darren O'Day, Mm -hmm. it made up a couple of seasons. It was spanning for him where you wondered if he was going to get that chance again because you start having injuries at 36, 37 years old, it's a little different than having a couple injuries at 26 and 27 years old, and I think he would attest to that as well. And going back and looking at this bullpen overall, uh, as we look at the starters, I think we know the three that we're going to see in some order in games one through three with Keuchel, Fultonevich, and Soroka. I think that's the order they'll go. There's a case that Max Fried could make a start in game four. I don't necessarily expect that, but it's possible. And then Melanson, Green, Martin, Jackson, Newcomb, Blevins, Tomlin, and O'Day is the way I look at it. Is the only place we're differing now in terms of what we think the Braves will do. Might be Julio Tehran and Josh Tomlin perhaps switching spots, which is not out of the realm of possibility, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with everything else. And, and again, I mean, maybe they end up opting um, for Tomlin. I mean, it's either way. Uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised. And honestly, you hope that as far as the NLDS is concerned, it, it almost proves irrelevant. Right, absolutely. And I think that's an interesting way. Let's transition into the catchers. I think they're going to carry all three of them because Francisco Cervelli looks healthy. And I, I really... To me, that was the only scenario where they'd carry two catchers is if Francisco Cervelli simply couldn't run or was still dealing with that uh, lacerated hand that he had or the injury that kind of kept him on the sideline a little bit late in the season. But he's looked pretty good since coming over, and I don't think you go out and get a veteran guy like that without kind of a plan or at least a hope that you can utilize him. And, that, I mean, that's three good veteran catchers right there and Brian McCann, Tyler Flowers, who has worked so well with Dallas Keuchel, and then bringing in Francisco Cervelli to be able to give the Braves – 
a guy that can swing the bat off the bench or a guy that could start a game or catch a lot of innings if you needed him to. And you've got all kinds of depth again, whereas a year ago the Braves were carrying Rene Rivera in the NLDS. This is a pretty big change. Yeah, huge change. I, I think any chance of Cervelli not being on there. I mean, when you lose kind of two of your key bench bats, right. and Joyce for that matter, so yeah. you're kind of looking at it, you're going, okay, well, it makes sense now to have Cervelli there, you know, just for your pinch hitting options. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I think three catchers is the move. You know, when you sit down, you know, I don't know how many people have kind of sat down to just kind of crunch the numbers to look at the roster, but when you do that, I don't think many would refute carrying three catchers when you can yeah. look at your options and you go okay well it would make a ton of sense to just have Cervelli on here yeah you can certainly look at it now and say with no Camargo no Culberson especially if you've looked at Charlie as a third catcher which I don't think too many people did it's a kind of break glass in case of emergency kind of situation but Cervelli has performed well enough to earn a spot on the roster those injuries only seem to solidify his claim on a roster spot at this point infielders Freddie Freeman kind of dealing with that elbow thing you touched on a little bit earlier. It's a bone spur. Uh, For folks that aren't particularly aware of bone spurs, we all have them. Baseball players end up with them from usage of all of their joints for day after day after day, for year after year after year. So this is something Freddie's had to deal with for a while. It's not something that you can just rest and it'll go away. It's going to be there unless or until he gets surgery to remove it. I don't think he wanted to sit out those final few games, but it might have been one of those things where – you had the time and the opportunity to do it after clinching and getting some treatment on it on a regular basis, I would imagine is going to be something that's going to be part of Freddie's day-to-day operations for a little while now as he tries to keep himself healthy and as close to 100% as he can be moving through the postseason. What do you make of Freddie Freeman's elbow and what level of concern do you have for it? Well, I mean, it's interesting. He he admits it's, you know, it's obviously it's not where he wants it to be, but right. at the same time, he's he's battled through this for seasons now i mean it's not exactly new but the pain did sharpen during that series in dc required his early exit and then it happens again he he does not go on the road trip so you have to trust the player in these instances i mean he says he's able to play obviously if he was in severe pain he wouldn't have played in new york at all that was commonly debated among fans but the reality is is he wanted to get two more bats and that's what they did so Snit has deferred to him as far as questions about the elbow. And Freddie insists that he's working through it. I mean, he had a few days off there uh, for treatment and to just kind of rest a little bit. And now he's got a few days again um, of rest before the before this series starts. So we'll see what happens with it. Um, it I, I think it's it's pretty evident that it's it's bothering him maybe a little bit more than he's let on, just simply kind of seeing – seeing his mannerisms and you know how he's handling it right but again he's good enough to play he says and he's going to play so you just you know you just hope that you're not looking back on it as we said earlier and you're saying you know how much of the NLDS you know was affected by you know Freddie being injured or Acuna being injured so it's I mean it's it's a really really big subplot in this series because uh, again Freddie's hit I think if Freddie hit 125 over his last 11 games, I mean, it was, it had a clear effect on his play. Uh, whereas he just, you know, he, he kind of fell off at the finish. So see what happens. I mean, if he, if he ends up hitting a homer in his first at bat, then, you know, no one's really going to say anything about it. So 
it's one of those things you, you'll just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, there is some wait and see, of course, with Freddie Freeman. As far as the infield is concerned, around Freddie Freeman, Josh Donaldson we talked about, he's obviously going to be there. Ozzie Albies and Dansby Swanson, I think, get the starts up the middle. Really no question about Ozzie. Dansby, you wondered when he came back and wasn't hitting for a while, but a couple of multi-hit games on the road trip, and I always feel like Dansby's going better when I'm seeing line drives to center field and to right field, and I saw a lot more of that. Sure, he's going to strike out some. I mean, welcome to baseball in 2019. But it was at least encouraging to see him show some signs of life in that final week because I think the team's better with Dansby Swanson out there on a nightly basis with what we saw in the first half anyway. If he's anywhere close to that, there's really not a whole lot of places you can go in that lineup to find an out. Exactly. I mean, he really is an X factor. If he if he just kind of gets going, he just, you know, he's seeing the ball well. I mean, he could he could really he could win you a series. Yeah. I mean, he, between that, between that and his defense, he is a true uh he is a true difference maker in a lineup that's really deep but becomes that much more threatening when he's going. And on the infield side of things in reserve, we know Johan Camargo is not going to be able to make it back for the division series. I don't think he's going to be back in 2019. It was a nice thought to hope that that leg was going to heal up, but Losing him and Charlie Culberson was ill-timed at the very least for the Braves and really just thankful that Charlie's injury wasn't worse. And then you just kind of had that bad luck with you losing Camargo as well. Uh, Danny Echeverria ends up coming over to the Braves because the Mets cut him loose, uh, didn't have a spot for him. The Braves had an injured Dansby Swanson, so they did have a spot for him. And how big is it that the Braves were in the market for a reserve infielder at that time? Because if they didn't have him, Prior to the end of August, he wouldn't be eligible to play in the postseason. But I guess everything kind of happens for a reason in a lot of ways, including in a baseball season. Exactly. You think back to when they got Hetchaburia, it was because Camargo was struggling so bad. Yeah. I mean, they, they end up optioning him. They bring in Hetchaburia, who, again, you know, like Donaldson, had ties to Anthopolis. And he has blown any possible expectations that anyone could have had for him. I mean, just especially offensively. But, I mean, he was exactly what they needed. Uh, he can play every spot in the infield. Uh, he was working out at first base the other day. So, I mean, he's he's a lock to be on the roster. Uh, he really, really softened the blow of losing Camargo. So, I mean, that's that's a really uh, shrewd move by Anthopolis there. I mean, it's, it's those, those – I mean, we talk about all the big trades. We talk about, you know, the extensions for these guys. But where a really good GM – really makes his mark is in ad- in additions like that yeah guys who you know are cut loose by poorly run teams they sc- they enter this situation and they perform at their best i mean this is i'm sure you know i would have to go back and look at hetchaburia's career but i'm sure that he's you know there, there hasn't been many times he's enjoyed baseball as much as he has since he got to atlanta so that's that's really big it bolsters their bench it bolsters their de- their depth and it really spared them of being, like you said, being really uh, short by losing Camargo and Culberson. Yeah, it would have been a rock and a hard place kind of situation for Alex Anthopoulos where you might have been dipping down to AAA and utilizing players that you never thought about using. And in October, that would certainly not be ideal. But Echeverria really pads the loss of both Culberson and Camargo. And having Dansby back, that would give me five traditional infielders, let's call it that, as we move into the outfield. Nick Markakis, back from his injury, I think has exceeded pretty much any expectation, to use that phrase again, in terms of what anybody thought he'd be capable of after sitting around for six or seven weeks. He's just looked like Nick Markakis, which is great. In his absence, though, Matt Joyce carved out some playing time in right field, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, the bench loses Matt Joyce. 
not in the sense that they lost a Culberson and a Camargo, but Joyce into the starting lineup. Gabe, he's another guy. You look back on what Alex Antopoulos did throughout the season and where his fingerprints are on putting this team together and doing it bit by bit, piece by piece. Matt Joyce was on his third team in spring training by the time he ended up in Atlanta, and I think the Braves are pretty happy he did end up in Atlanta. They're thrilled, and you look back on it, when they got him, there was no guarantee he was even going to stay on the roster. Yeah, it was, it was really just a, we need somebody, let's get this guy, and I believe he homered in Philadelphia uh, opening weekend, and he's just, I mean, he, he has been everything they could have asked for. Ultimately, they would rather have had him on the bench because he was so good in that in that fourth outfielder role. So, again, he's right up there with Hesperia. I'm sure in a minute we're going to mention Billy Hamilton. Oh, yes. Just another really under-the-radar. I mean, these guys are just perfect supporting cast for your Freddie Freemans, Josh Donaldson, and Ronald Acuna. So they've done a really good job. Again, like you mentioned, Renee Rivera on you know last season's postseason roster. So the amount of options that they have, even with the injuries, uh, it's a night and day difference. And it really is what a difference a year makes because that, this organization is so much deeper and so much better off than it was. And it's because of guys like Matt Joyce who came in, who fit the clubhouse perfectly, who uh, knew their who knew their role, mm-hmm. who thrived in their role, who enjoyed their role, who enjoyed winning kind of veteran guys who have been around. They saw something special here. So there's really a lot to like about Matt Joyce, and uh, it's a good story how he's managed to produce for this team. Yeah, he's worked his way right into that starting right fielder's role for the most part, and Nick Markakis has been playing some left field, which was not something he had really done much of in his career prior to agreeing to do it. But that doesn't surprise you about Nick Markakis because he's more interested, I think, in winning and being a part of this club and being out there playing in some way, shape, or form and I think he's performed pretty admirably out in left field, not to mention this wasn't a guy that went out on some lengthy rehab assignment to work his way back from that broken wrist. He was dropped just right into the fire and has performed just like we have seen Nick Markakis for the last four, now five full seasons in Atlanta, which is pretty admirable when you break it down. And I think it's just one of the many things and one of the many aspects of the way that he plays the game that gives you such a respect for him as a professional and it garners a lot of respect from the guys that he goes to battle with each and every night out of between those white lines. They want to go to war with Nick Markakis. Yeah, he, he's a love teammate. I mean, I know he's kind of a polarizing player on social media and sure. whatnot, but everybody loves him. He's extremely – I mean, the consistency is what everyone brings up, but it is worth mentioning just knowing what you're going to get from a guy like that. And like you said, a guy who selflessly – you know, yeah, yeah, I'll move to left field to uh, make things better for Joyce. So, yeah, just a true leader in the clubhouse. And, you know, we're not going to get into off-season talk yet. But, right. you know, between Donaldson, McCann, Markakis, I mean, this team has some real leaders who uh, could be free agents. And uh, they won't be able to afford losing a lot of that leadership in the clubhouse. So, you know, not to look ahead to that, but that will be interesting to see how they handle it. Yeah, certainly one of the many things we'll be looking at as we go through the winter because the Braves are opening up their window of contention with back-to-back National League East division crowns. They want to go a lot further, but they've got the foundation laid and a 25-man roster that we're going through right now to begin this National League division series that you'd like to see playing together for at least another year or two in the case of most of the guys and possibly more in the case of others. And rounding out the other additions made by Alex Anthopoulos before we turn our attention to Ronald Acuna Jr., who, of course, one of the other subplots as far as injuries are concerned, heading into the division series, you brought up Billy Hamilton. 
it's a fascinating name because we've always heard about Billy Hamilton's game-changing speed. We watched him play for the Reds. I remember when he burst onto the scene stealing, what, 100-plus bases in the minor leagues, and really his legs are a weapon that the Braves are going to be able to utilize, but so is his glove. And with Ender Enciarte and the hamstring injury keeping him out of the division series, Billy Hamilton was another well-timed pickup for Alex Anthopoulos. So if you're scoring at home, Hamilton, Joyce, Francisco Cervelli, uh, at the end of spring training, you could throw Josh Tomlin in that mix as well. All the relievers that were brought over, and of course signing Dallas Keuchel, a lot of veteran uh, value was brought in, and not just guys who were coming in to kind of round out a clubhouse dynamic, but guys who are expected to perform in some way, shape, or form really important roles for this Braves team and Hamilton, just kind of the maybe the cherry on top for Alex Anthopoulos and picking up some players that have had a positive impact on the Braves as they've tried to battle through the injuries of the second half. Hamilton is loving this. You know, you just see his face, and he says, you know, this is the most fun he's had. I mean, he's truly enjoying, you know, being part of a legitimate contender, uh, seeing what it's like every day, you know, being in that winning clubhouse and advancing to the playoffs. And, and he wants to play and he wants to play a big role. I mean, he said, I plan to play a big role in the postseason. And you look at like the Red Sox run. I mean, the, the Dave Roberts stolen base. I mean, yep. sometimes it really is one steal one that play. can be remembered forever. Yeah. Well, and uh, Billy Hamilton is a guy who, you know, he's a, he, he gives you he gives you that threat. I mean, he's one of the best base stealers in the game. You have, uh, obviously, he's a plus defensively, so if something does happen, I mean, you do, at least you can trust him out there. And then whatever he adds with the bat, which, by the way, he's hit pretty well with Atlanta, uh, at least, you know, on par, you know above his career norms. Yep. But, you know, whatever he gives you with his bat is, you know, kind of icing on the cake because you're looking at a guy who can change the game uh, with a steal. You're looking at a guy who can help you defensively. And, again, he's, they're so good. One thing that, outsiders that fans don't get to see and you wish they could see it more is just how well some players just seem to fit in right not every clubhouse is like the Braves clubhouse and it just every guy that they have brought in just fits the mix perfectly and I mean that's credit to their front office for kind of knowing the type of people who mesh with their core group and a guy like Billy Hamilton uh, has fit in seamlessly so I mean that's another really good just really and possibly really effective come the playoffs pickup for them uh, at virtually no cost. Yeah, and it's one of the things, just picking up some of the money that's owed to him. I mean, he's got a decision, I guess, to be made in terms of a player option for next year that the Braves seem destined to decline. But seeing Billy Hamilton stick around for longer, that's another thing I think we'll be discussing over the winter. Went through that whole list of guys and don't want to forget about a Danny Echeverria. We've talked about him already, but Echeverria, Hamilton, Joyce, guys like that, Cervelli coming on late as well and the trades for those relievers were really season-changing moves made by the Braves in season on top of adding a Dallas Keuchel as a free agent signing. So this club has really evolved as we've gone through the entire year. Another guy that was a big part of this season that we saw early on have a ton of success, but then struggles, injuries, and not enough at-bats, I think, to go around lately is Austin Riley. As I look at rounding out my postseason roster, if I were making it, to me, it's a dead heat between Riley and Duvall. And the reason I would lean towards Austin is the fact that he can play third base, first base, and either corner outfield spot. On the flip side, Duvall has got a longer track record big league-wise, has plenty of power, no two ways about that, a little bit better defense on the uh, corner, particularly in left field. 
Where do you think the Braves will go, and where would you go in terms of picking between a Riley and a Duvall? I would assume that probably comes down to it for the 25th man on your postseason roster as well. I mean, this is what just like you know several of the other decisions. I mean, you could justify either way. I mean, I personally would probably go with Riley for the exact reasons that you said. And I also think that if you do consider Riley part of your future, which it appears they do, yeah. then there's value in having him playing. I mean, I, I, obviously you're not developing people in the playoffs, but I do think that there's value moving forward in uh, him experiencing sure. that, even if he only pitch, pinch hits once. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would go with Riley. Uh, obviously, you know, these guys are kind of redundant in a sense, so you're probably only going to be carrying one of them. So, yeah, I would go with Riley. And But credit to Adam Duvall, too, because this is another guy who last season was a complete disaster. Uh, he tears it up in triple A. Yep. He comes up, and I know that, now, you know, you think of him kind of probably in a similar light than you did, you know, last year. But when the team really needed him to come up and help, he did. Yep. And, you know, it's the same thing. You can say this about, you know, Anthony Swarzak. I mean, there's uh, Luke Jackson. You know, when this team really needed some somebody unexpected to step up and fill a hole, they did it. And even if their season kind of went off the rails, you know, obviously Swarzak's did. Um, Adam Duvall's did. But they came through when the team needed it. And that's the, I mean, that's what makes teams great. I mean, that's what keeps teams, you know, like you look at the Dodgers and the Yankees and all these teams, I mean, they're getting the same thing. They're having guys out of nowhere producing for them. And that's what really separates the great teams from the good teams. And that's absolutely why the Braves improved their record by seven wins. And it really harkens back to a lot of the Braves teams in the nineties where, yeah, there were plenty of names that you knew, but some of these kids came up, through the minor leagues. Some of them came over for just a finite amount of time and had a big impact on what the Braves were able to do or just got them through that two, three-week, maybe two-month stretch where you just needed somebody to come in and answer the call for that next-man-up mentality that's made this Braves team so good and, again, speaks to the depth and the talent of the depth the Braves have had all year as well to be a 97-win team. Let me wrap up this look at the postseason roster for the Braves with oh, I don't know, maybe the most talented guy on the entire roster and one of the best players in the National League. That, of course, is Ronald Acuna Jr., who had a terrific season. He was flirting with 40-40, and as it turned out, it was not that he couldn't get there because he wasn't trying to get there in terms of running wild in the final week or two. He just wasn't able to stay on the field for the final few games. Uh, You were covering the team, Gabe. You made this recent road trip. You got to see how Ronald was handling things to get himself some reps while not playing in the final games of the season. What do you make of his status, and do you expect Ronald Acuna Jr. to be all systems go when the bell rings for the division series? They felt pretty confident that he would be, you know, good to go. I mean, not necessarily 100%. I don't want to say that because you don't know until you see it. I don't know if anybody is 100% at this time of year anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, no doubt. And. You know, they they felt really, you know, they're okay, he'll be ready for Thursday. I really don't. I mean, you saw this kind of across baseball with a lot of contending teams, you know, kind of, you know, closing guys down for for the last weekend or so. I I don't think it was that big of a deal. He should be fine. They stressed he could have played if it was, you know, if it was a playoff game. I mean, he he probably would have been out there. So not a big deal. In fact, probably better for him. I mean, I know people hated to see the pursuit for 40-40 end like that in prematurely, but it was probably better for him as far as the Braves are concerned, you know, give him some time off, um, give him a little rest, uh, not just with the groin, but just in general. Uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. So they were happy to do it. Um, he got to rest a little bit, and, and he should he should be good to go. So 
but definitely, uh, depending on his, I mean, depending on his health, I mean, that's a big deal because I would guess, you know, most people are probably going to pick the Braves in this series. I definitely think it'll be close, but most people are picking the Braves in this series. But one of the reasons, if you were uh, leaning toward the Cardinals, would be the uncertainty around some of these guys' health. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, a little bit of a question mark at the very least. And one of those stories that you'd like to feel a little bit better by seeing Ronald Acuna go out there and do some Ronald Acuna things because he's certainly one of the most fun players that we have to watch in quite some time and hopefully for a very long time and hopefully throughout the month of October. A big picture going through the playoffs as you look at the field that is set for the five teams in both leagues. Of course, the wild card games uh, will decide who's going to match up with the Dodgers in the division series as you've got the Brewers and the Nationals squaring off. Dodgers top seed in the National League, then the Braves and Cardinals. American League side, your wild card teams, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland A's, two really fun clubs, so that should be fun to watch. The Houston Astros, of course, are awaiting the winner of that team. And then you've got the Yankees and the Twins that are going to match up in the other ALDS. Is there a team you like to go all the way? And do you have any postseason predictions or storylines or just perhaps exciting things that you're looking forward to seeing over this next three weeks of October baseball that, again, we've been looking forward to all season long? Well, that Yankees-Twins series, if it lives up to what it could, that will be fun. Only about 600 Uh, homers between the two of them, right? Yeah. Uh, if you wanted a home run derby in October, there that would probably be it. So that that should definitely be a fun series. I think that uh, the winner of Tampa and Oakland, I mean, that uh, against Houston, either one of those teams is, you know, like you said, those are fun teams. And I don't know that anyone's going to beat Houston. I, I, I certainly wouldn't bet against them. I think everyone's picking Houston to win the World Series. But, you know, those, those are really feisty teams. So, you know, to see them kind of even put up a fight uh, would definitely be fun. And then and I expect the Dodgers to beat either one of the NL wildcard winners. Um, but, I mean, credit to the Brewers. I no think doubt. that the Brewers' story was, was great for baseball. I think, you know, uh, if, it was, if it was somewhere bigger than Milwaukee, more people probably would have given it more attention. But, it, it, I mean, just a great story for them. They, they lose their MVP. Uh, they end up pulling it out anyway, and regardless of how the NL wildcard game ends for them, I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive season for them to have rebounded like that. Um, so, yeah, I, and I think I, I would take the Braves in five um, in their series, but it, it really is like if you look at the Vegas odds, I mean, I think the Braves and the Cardinals um, have the same odds to win the NL. So I think that this, to a lot of people, this is kind of a toss-up. So, But I, I expect it to be a – Really well-played, hard-fought series, uh, much more interesting than last year's. Most definitely. And the Braves have a few more weapons at their disposal this year. You can't always count on health for everybody to be 100%. And again, like I said earlier, I think after seven months, including spring training, of playing baseball just about every day, guys are going to have some aches and pains and things they're going to have to get through. And mentally, I think baseball is as taxing as it is physically as well. But these guys live for this, as the slogan goes. And they're looking forward to whatever they can do in October. And for the Braves, I'm hoping it's a lengthy stay. But as you mentioned, this Houston Astros team, man, if they don't look like the team of destiny, I don't know what the team of destiny looks like because they have been so good from bell to bell. And this Verlander and Cole thing has been the kind of show we haven't seen since Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling in terms of two guys just going out there and tearing it up and striking guys out left and right. That has been a show that is well worth the money if you're a Houston Astros fan. Yeah, they're unbelievable. I wouldn't even expect them to play a game seven. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it'll ever come to that for them. I, I think they're going to roll through it. Um, just, I mean, just really impressive. And, 
you know, and there, I mean, for a Braves fan, I mean, you're looking at it on like, you know, Houston, Houston. I mean, they went what three straight years uh, losing a hundred games, hundred plus, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were abysmal. I mean, horrible. And I know, you know, we we always point to them in Chicago. Granted, now Chicago's kind of gone in a different direction. That that one didn't play out nearly as well. They did get a World Series, so I don't know how much they care, but. Yeah. When you look at the rebuild and how it paid off for Houston, um, it's definitely paying off for Atlanta in a similar sense. And, the, you know, Houston Houston had the prospects and the flexibility to go out and add Cole and Verlander. And then they add Grinky. And so, yeah, like they needed you know, it just, they were so loaded. Their farm system is so loaded. And they were at the point that when they knew that they had a team that could win it, they went for it. And, you know, you're kind of seeing similar play out in Atlanta. So I don't know that the Yankees. Uh, I don't think the Yankees have enough pitching to uh, push Houston to the brink. We'll see, but that is just a really, really impressive uh, organization over there in Houston. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how October is going to play out, and it begins for the Braves this week with the National League Division Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. I think you said Braves in five. I'm going to say Braves in four because Atlanta is looking for its first postseason series victory since way back in 2001. And Gabe, you and I will be on hand to see it. I'm pretty excited about that, and I appreciate all the time you've given me throughout the season. And, of course, here today on From the Diamond, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. All right. He is Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at AJC. That's G-A-B-E-B-U-R-N-S-A-J-C. Of course, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can find all of Gabe's work there as he covers the Braves, does an outstanding job there. And I appreciate all of his time today on From the Diamond. Hope you're excited about postseason baseball. Hope you're excited about this episode of From the Diamond and what we'll be talking about here over the next few weeks. A lot of excitement as we're finally back in the postseason and looking forward to what should be a memorable time for the 10 clubs that get in and hopefully a very memorable time for the Atlanta Braves as this young and talented team looks to make its mark on the biggest stage in baseball. Invite you to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you like to get your podcasts from. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews, always appreciated. Keep those coming. And thank you once again for all of the shares that you do along social media. On Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore is where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show on Instagram, at FromTheDiamond with no underscore. And you can find me on Instagram as well. I am at Grant McCauley there as well. And make sure you check out FromTheDiamond.com to find every episode of the show and much more throughout baseball season and, of course, hot stove season, which is not too far away. But we got some great baseball to discuss before we get to the hot stove. Once again, thanks to Gabe Burns of the AJC for joining me, and thanks to you for listening to this episode of From the Diamond. We'll be coming your way soon with much more Braves and postseason discussion. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>